0: Okay, here we go, March the 8th, 2020, lecture discussion number 95 on the book of Joel, Revelation Daniel, Ecclesiastes. And as many of you have expressed to me, we find ourselves currently just buried beneath the landslide of information that is Daniel 9. That's a good thing. Uh, It doesn't seem like it at the time, but it really is. The material, the pathways generated by the book of Daniel are suffocatingly compressed which there is no room between it. It's the density. It can be intimidating. It causes the students of uh, Daniel and Revelation to retreat by and large. People take a run at it and they give up. And that's one thing that I I am hopefully ferocious enough to get you through. Uh, Daniel itself is enough to deal with. Just by itself. But you can't deal with Daniel by itself. You have to add Jeremiah, Ezra, Second Chronicles, Nehemiah, the Hebrew sacred calendar, the Hebrew civil calendar, the Gregorian calendar, Esther, Second Samuel 21, Joshua 9, Joshua 10, Jonah, Matthew 24. Now you can take on Daniel 9. And it goes without saying, lifetimes have been devoted to solving the conclusive proof of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. That's what's in Daniel 9, the conclusive proof of the Messiahship of Jesus Christ. And therefore, in the obedient pursuit of wisdom, which is what we're doing, Proverbs 4, 5, Get wisdom, get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. That is God saying, get wisdom, get understanding. Proverbs 4.7, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs one twenty two uh, is a, the mantra of this church. How long will you simple ones love simplicity? And that is the condition of the common church today, the contemporary church. It is sim- simplicity. There is no wisdom. There's no seeking of wisdom. There's no concern for wisdom. There is just keep it simple and make the money. Proverbs 1.29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. Proverbs 122 and 129 are within what's called in Proverbs the call of wisdom in, uh, in, in chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Proverbs is the call of wisdom. Chapter 2 contains, the, it is referred to as the value of wisdom. So it outlines the value. So one, you have the call to wisdom, a call of wisdom, and the other, you have the reasons for gaining the wisdom. In chapter 2, you're going to notice the book of Revelation is there. The book of Revelation is there in the evil man. Actually, it's called the evil. The man is implied, they say, but it's just the evil. And there's also the strange woman. I lost my pen that that some wonderful person gave me from Japan, and it's not in my pockets, and not in my coat, and not in my bag. Oh, you did? Where in the office is it? On the filing cabinet. Thank you. Are you uh, going to rescue me? Okay, that's fantastic, because this is just such a little tiny thing i can i can barely read it myself because it's my handwriting which so one thing i have noticed is my handwriting is starting to really deteriorate i used to take such care miss kelly she told me that when i signed my name okay i had to be able to she had to be able to read every letter in it So I have always done that. Every letter had to be in there. And when I printed it, it had to be perfect. Or she would beat me. That's how they taught us in those days. Isn't that true? Yes, absolutely right. And so to this day I do that. And I always, uh, of course, thank you. That is wonderful. Thank you for finding it. Thank uh, everybody else for not stealing it. I'm really happy that... Oh, yeah, he's from Texas. Hi. Hi, Texas. Hi, hi, uh, Dan. I can't say their last names because then people hunt them down. You know, it's really a shame. Anyway, Proverbs chapter two has the evil and the strange woman in it, and that should tell you immediately that's Revelation, isn't it? That's the the evil who speaks perverse things and the strange woman. The evil and the strange woman, woman, I'm sorry, are addressed by John in Revelation 17, and the beast and as the beast and the mother of harlots, uh, knowing the beast or the evil and the strange woman is included in the value of wisdom in Proverbs two, but. You you would recognize that here is wisdom, Revelation 13, 18, the understanding the number of the evil, 666. So immediately we see Proverbs reaching into Revelation 13. So searching and finding the knowledge of of God, for the Lord gives wisdom as a shield and preserves the saints. So that's why we search for it. That's one of the values of it, Proverbs two, five through twelve. Now, to repeat myself repeating myself, none of the wicked none of the wicked, let's make that clear, none of the wicked will understand the book of Daniel. Only the wise will understand Daniel twelve ten. So it's an immediate test, as I've said over and over again as we continue this the wise will understand the 69 weeks of daniel and the wise will understand the 70th week of daniel and the wise will understand the abominations that make desolate and but none of the wicked will understand any of that even though they could sit here and listen to me or any other who expounds on it and none means none none of the wicked will know solemn words People ask me all the time, what can I do when I leave this church and I go someplace else as fast as I can? That's not, I added that part. What can I do to find a church? Talk to the pastor, ask him who Christ is, and, and say, explain to me Daniel 9 through Daniel 12. In fact, explain to me the whole book of Daniel. Wisdom test. And that is why we must and we will persevere through Daniel, Revelation, Joe Ecclesiastes. I got those out of order. It's okay. I'm a professional. We have to pursue. We don't have to. We are told to pursue the things that make one wise. So consider the benefits of wisdom for a minute. Contentment, peace, joy, assurance, as opposed to the maledictions of stupidity which are way too many to recite and I'm a list maker. Life is hard, John Wayne. Life is hard enough without being intentionally stupid. And if you don't study the book of wisdom, then what what is your intent? So will the search for wisdom be easy? Is it going to be simple? No. It will not. So, back into Daniel 9. We're going to go again today. And I know it's hard. I really do. It's going to be worse than ever. And so far, it's been really bad. But it's worse than it's going to be. It's going to get worse next week. So, this is kind of an easy week compared to next week. If there's such a thing in the book of Daniel. And there's not. It's all relative. But before we do, I thought it best to divert into something a little bit more, what do I call it, entertaining. Unchallenging, uh, a minimal effort type thing that's just fun and joyful and maybe a little bit humorous. And so it'll just be like a normal uh, sermon you get anywhere else. Essentially, it's effortless and, re- and, uh, and that relative to the book of Daniel. I'm not kidding about that. It is. And yes, you have guessed correctly. I can see you guessing that this is the Hubble constant. Everybody wants to talk about the Hubble constant. By everybody, I mean maybe Daniel in Dime, Texas. Yeah, we also have Dwayne in Kentucky. Oh, Dwayne in Kentucky. Okay. Well they're gonna be thrilled. Rachel also. Awesome. Oh hi Rachel. Why aren't you here? It's daylight savings time. Uh, that. Is that? No. Oh really? Wow. We need to shut this down. <laughs> Oh, good. Anyway, I've always wanted to say that. Uh, So anyway, we're going to talk about the Hubble constant and the impact of infinity on quantum tunneling. And you might think, okay, this doesn't apply to Daniel, but I think you will see that it does. When we're talking about infinity and the Hubble constant and quantum tunneling, we get into Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, and I try... To stay away from these topics, I really do, but the incessant clamoring becomes impossible to resist. I have to give in to the demands of the vast Internet audience, as I pointed out. There's so many of them, and they deluge me uh, uh, with mail producing heavy pressures. By deluge, I mean one letter, or maybe two. But that's a lot, especially if it comes from Moldavia. And you may be thinking, how is it that quantum, tunnel, quantum tunneling, I got interested in quantum tunneling because I'm old. I studied transistors theory when you could pick one up that was the size, it was this big. I, had, I studied carbon pile regulation, which was to somebody in the railroad industry, they'll, they'll be stunned I'm that old. No, the Alaska Railroad just had really old stuff that nobody else wanted. Anyway, the point of it is is that quantum tunneling's application is in tunnel diodes and, and in uh, uh, the uh, PN joints of transistors. That means nothing but positive, negative, emitter catheter, uh, collector, all that stuff, of tubes and transistors. So that is where I have my un- my understanding of quantum tunneling it's that old in fact it is very old it's back in the early 1900s Quantum tunneling and uncertainty has with it, attached to it, probability. That's where Heisenberg comes in, his uncertainty principle. And the Hubble constant has relevance to Daniel, Revelation, Joel, Ecclesiastes. Uh, It's incredible. I think you'll find it uh, very interesting. At least I do. And let's see if the answer me, that dude, can bring his usual translucence to these subjects. Usual is a relative term always best to lower your expectations here quantum tunneling is the probability that a particle can travel through a barrier you'll see it all the time if you, on something like this I'll have a particle and it's going to hit a barrier a lot of times you'll have a a well and a particle is going to drop into the well or the depression so what is the probability that that particle can go through that barrier that obstacle And of course, there's going to be a relationship to the depth of the obstacle and the height of the obstacle to the probability that that particle can tunnel its way through, can travel through a barrier. Keep in mind, uh, this is going to be a very elementary uh, explanation and more fun to come as I define fun. In other words, in quantum physics, probability and uncertainty play prominent roles in this kind of occurrence. So if a subatomic quantum-scale particle encounters an obstacle, it doesn't have to be a physical obstacle, it can be an electromagnetic field, if it runs into one, what is the probability that that particle can traverse through that obstruction? That's the issue of quantum tunneling. How does that apply to the New Testament? obviously the probability again is affected by the height and the depth and the density or the the field strength so I have the, the depth, the height, the field strength of the interference with that said classical Newtonian physics dictates that if the energy of the particle is less than the energy field of the obstruction the particle is repelled that's Newton it can't tunnel Everything is dependent upon the energy of the particle. You also see this commonly expressed as a depression, as I said. The particle is trapped. If the energy of the particle is less than the depth or the height of the barrier, the hole that it's captured in, it stays captured The always. It can't get out. That's Newtonian physics. But in quantum physics, the particle can escape. The particle can escape even if if it has lower energy, because it can tunnel through the impediment. Now, how is that possible? Because the particle has duality. You know from interferometry back when, everything has a wave-particle dualism. Light is most commonly referred to as having duality, but everything, all of creation, has a dualism. And because of this wave-particle aspect, I'm, I'm not hitting this this barrier with just with me. Keep the. I'm not hitting the barrier with just a particle. I'm hitting the barrier with a wave. And in quantum tunneling, there's a probability that that wave can traverse that barrier. And that is one of the issues here that is of great importance. All of creation, as I have said to you, has this wave-particle composition to it. So because a particle has this duality, this wave-particle duality, it can function as a particle and a wave, and it has the capacity to tunnel through a barrier. And therefore possesses, and this is again at the subatomic level, and, and, and that means that it has uncertainty because it's a wave it has uncertainty as to its location we can't know what its location is let me erase this is really poorly done but it'll get it'll get worse before it gets worse because there is uncertainty with regard to the particle we cannot know its location as because it has this wave duality to it it can be over here Well, if it can be over there, then what is the probability that it can be over there? If it possesses uncertainty to its location, it means the particle can be on the other side of the barrier. I hope that makes sense. And that means it's breaking the laws of classical physics or Newtonian physics. And though the probability is small, there are no probabilities of exactly zero. In other words, all probabilities are non-zero. So there is probability that that particle can tunnel through that barrier or get out of that well. Now, that's fun. I know you all like that. So let's add what's really going to make this interesting, at least to me. It's also going to make it theological. We're going to bring infinity to probability and to uncertainty. Everybody say, we, yes, excitement in the very back. I'm so thrilled. Feigned excitement in the third row, which was still very impressive, though obviously pretense. I know, you're breaking us as it is, oh my goodness. You are, that's all true. What is the probability that given infinity, a particle of less energy can escape or traverse a well or barrier and emerge out of or through it? And remember, all probabilities are non-zero. There is a probability. Now, if I apply infinity to the non-zero probability, what is the likelihood, using infinity, that that particle can get through that barrier? Is it certainty? How many times does it try? Infinity. There is a non zero probability. Using infinity and a non zero probability, does it make it through? Do the math. To make the theological application, who's infinite? Jesus Christ is infinite, the infinite creator God. What is the probability that he can move through barriers, organic or inorganic? Infinity is amazing. When you have infinity and you understand quantum physics, you recognize how he does things. I know you all want to head into nuclear fusion today, and well, we'll do that next week, because that's every bit as much fun as quantum tunneling. But the vast internet audience now has completely dropped off, hasn't it, And They're all gone. No, you still got six I still got six. Oh, is it not? Everybody hates what you've done if you exist. Can you fix it? Okay, should I stop here? No, no, keep going? Okay. Instead of continuing uh, with the concept of infinity, well, actually, instead of nuclear fusion, I'm going to continue with the concept of infinity. Let's now go to Genesis 15. It Genesis 15, Matthew 36. 26, 36 through 52, I find infinity. Matthew 4, 16, 17, I also find infinity. All of those are 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 depicting infinity. Genesis, Genesis 15, as you know, is the solution to sin. That is where sin is solved. For us, that is where God declares sin having a solution and destroying the life of Satan. That's the same thing that's happening in Matthew 26, 36 through 39, or 52, whichever you wish to stop. Matthew 4, 16, 17 is as well. The flaming light and the smoking furnace, the cup at Gethsemane and the baptism of Christ is where you see infinity. In the Bible, imagine if you will the tired old question, which is still presented as unanswerable. I usually get it from children: "Can God create a rock so heavy that He can't lift it?" You've all heard that. Hopefully, you recognize in that question is Genesis 15. The solution to sin component is within that elementary question. That's why I can continue to read, to answer it. The implication of that question is that it is unsolvable, and therefore God is what? Limited. That's right. Satan's lie, as you know, carries the assertion that God is limited by his mercy. His love will stop him from judging. He won't judge because his love will overpower his holiness. Well, that is what? That is infinity and infinity in collision, isn't it? That's Genesis 15. It's the flaming light of mercy and the burning furnace of judgment. The assertion of Satan is that living beings are excluded from independent consciousness and will by God's omniscience. So here's the question. Is infinity limited? God is infinite, so there is no limitation. What is the solution to infinity lifting an infinite rock? Let me say that better. What is the solution to infinity lifting an infinite rock? Because that's the question of the rock, isn't it? Can God make an infinite rock and lift it? That is a battle of infinity and infinity. Again, that is Genesis 15. That is the cup at Matthew 26, 36 through 52. That is is the baptism of Christ where the three infinite persons of the triune Godhead are on display. So to repeat this a bit, what is the solution to rewarding Genesis 15? To infinite love, willing that none should perish and infinite holiness requiring justice for sin and evil what is the solution to that i have infinity and infinity what is the only solution to infinity and infinity i will draw it on the board i have infinity and infinity is battling infinity yeah it looks like a fish but it's not actually to draw it correctly it has to kind of go like that but I don't do it right. The bad people do it like this a sideways eight. Those are ignorant people and they are rebuked all over the internet for that. So I have to erase. So, what is the solution if I have infinity up, up against infinity? I ain't drawn it backwards. What is the solution to that? The answer is. You can do it. I will give you the solution. Infinity. In order to have a solution to sin, and there's an argument about this, because they say sin sin is finite because we're finite beings. But I have infinity and infinity, justice and mercy, uh, requiring that none should perish and justice. So the only solution to that is infinity. Who is the solution to sin? Christ is. What does that make him? Infinite. That's right. So that's the point of all of this discussion. If the Hubble constant, the Hubble constant is H sub O. If the Hubble Hubble constant, the rate at which the universe is expanding, cannot be reconciled, And currently it cannot be reconciled. There is tremendous fighting in the astrophysics, cosmological, uh, the cosmologists. They're battling tooth and nail. It's wonderful to see. uh, But uh, hopefully they'll get into some kind of cage thing. Nothing's better than seeing nerd scientists actually pummeling each other, in my opinion. I think it would be much wonderful viewing. But they actually are at odds and it is irreconcilable. So the Hubble constant at the rate at which, which is the rate at which the universe is expanding cannot be reconciled, and currently it cannot, Then the standard cosmological model of the universe, the sacrosanct, the, the model of the universe, which includes the invisible substances that are impossible to detect. See, that standard cosmological model says there's dark energy and dark model I'm sorry, dark energy and dark matter, and we can't we don't know what it is and we can't identify it, we can't see it, and we can't prove it's there, but we believe it is, that's our model. All of that is at risk if you cannot reconcile the rate at which the universe is expanding. The physics must be reconsidered. And I suggest to them, and they all listen to me, that they discard the invisible substances that are impossible to detect. They know that there's energy. And my question is, is who is that energy? See, that seems obvious to me. And they know there's unseen matter. And I say, well, both of them are invisible, as you know. And one of the attributes of God is his invisibility. So I want them to to, to discard this concept of dark energy and dark matter and be real. But if they conceded that, that's going to result in the sanitariums being incapacitated by the swarm of astrophysicists. There will be millions of them in there uh, if they have to concede that there is no dark matter and there is no dark energy. In fact, it is consciousness, as Max Pomp says. The standard cosmological model you see is of the universe. It is worshipped. No diversity of thought is tolerated. And just as quantum physics demonstrated the failures of general relativity, there are those who today will insist that general relativity has been proven. Well, the quantum physicists say, and no it hasn't. At best, it is incomplete. At worst, it is completely wrong. So has the error ranges in the calculation methods of the Hubble constant. Those who are trying to calculate the rate of the expansion of the universe don't agree. And that's brought skepticism to the standard cosmological model of the universe. So either the calculations, the calculating Methodologies are wrong or the very concept is wrong. If the Hubble constant is not observable in the universe, then the astrophysicists have nothing and they need a new physics in order to understand the to have a new model. They need a new model of how the universe is designed. Eventually, see what they're doing is they're saying if if the rate of the universe is expanding and it is consistent and we can extrapolate therefore in the future and eventually we'll get to a place where the galaxies and and all of the matter of the universe, how much of the universe is matter? Well, hardly any, four to five percent. Most of it is uh, invisible substances that cannot be detected. But eventually if this expansion continues then we can extrapolate out where it is now unseeable all matter no galaxies will be seen they'll be impossible to detect because they're so far away and then you could extrapolate back to where we get to the, the what they would consider the the cosmic egg of the big bang where all matter exploded and all energy exploded out of one small particle So that's what's going on here. If those calculations can't be reconciled, then we need new physics. New physics is demanded. And I, of course, ask the question, I wonder who will be the new physics. Because it's not a what. It's consciousness. It's a person. Okay. Back we go to Daniel 9, the conclusive proof that Jesus Christ is the infinite Messiah, and therefore the Messiah is the second person of the infinite triune Godhead. Three distinct persons, uh, one triune God. And we left off with attempting to establish which command was the king of Persia, um, I'm sorry, which command from the kings of Persia, of which there are four, and I erased that for this more fun stuff, easy stuff. That you all just love. You should see your faces. It's the greatest delight of the week for me. I should film the audience. It's hilarious. But last week we said I said that there are four kings. Each one of them issued a command. And we have to decide which command is referenced of those four kings in Daniel 9. And so let's go to 9.24 and read it again. How many times are we going to keep reading Daniel? A lot. Where is Daniel? i got it marked. There it is. Okay. Starting at 24. Again, 70 weeks are determined. This is the words of Gabriel who came to Daniel who was praying. Uh, for the sins. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. That's what Daniel was doing. Now, verse 20 says, Now, while I was speaking, praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my supplications before the Lord my God, Gabriel came. So there's your model. You want to see Gabriel, pray like Daniel. Hasn't happened yet. Doesn't keep you from trying. Gabriel then comes. Oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. Daniel can't understand what Daniel wrote and it reminds me of me on about the ninth page going who wrote this? Guy's got, a, got arthritis or and why does he drool all over the page? Oh Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications to be the, the command went out. And I have come to tell you that you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. In other words, he could not understand the matter or the vision that he has had. That's the first nine or eight chapters of Daniel. And here's what Gabriel said Seventy weeks are determined for your people. What's Daniel praying about? He's praying about that the seventy years of captivity from. From the Babylonians, written about in Jeremiah, is ended. And so, what does he think? He thinks, Yay. How old does he have to be? He was captured when he was a young man. uh, So, he's easily, he's probably in his 90s now. He could be younger than that, but barely. 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Who's the people? Is it us? Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. That's obviously Israel, Israelis, Jews, and Jerusalem. To finish the... Transgression, To make an end of sins. To make reconciliation for iniquity. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal up vision and prophecy. And to anoint the most holy. There's a list there, isn't there? Yay, lists. And know therefore and understand that going forth... That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and sixty-two weeks. We'll have seven sevens and we'll have sixty-two sevens. We'll have two segments here. Segment one, segment two. The streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in the troublesome times. And after the sixty-two weeks, Messiah shall be cut off, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end of it shall be with a flood. Until the end of the war, desolations are determined. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. So we have another week. Box three. I can help you. I can go seven times one. But in the middle of the week, he shall bring it into the sacrifice and offering. So this is divided in half. That would be three and a half and three and a half. That comes up again, as you know. He shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abominations shall be the one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. Okay. There we go. I probably need to address here in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, the biblical principle of double reference. It often comes up in the Old Testament especially. Uh, it's in Scripture continually, in my opinion, and is the condition whereby subsequent verses or even portions of a verse can be separated by extended periods of time. So I don't know if the 62 follows the 7, or the um, the are seven if the 7, 7, or the 1, 7, golly, here we're going to struggle. Let's call it 49, 434, and 7. I don't know if the 434 is immediately subsequent to the 49s. So I have to decide that based on the context and what, the, what it tries to say to me. I don't know if the 7 follows the, four, the 434 or if they're all lumped together at 483. So how much time is here? In Hebrew, double reference, you can't tell very often. You, you must understand that sometimes there can be a tremendous gap of time. Sometimes there's no time in between. So that is the principle of double reference. Portions of one verse can be separated by extended periods of time. And uh, we'll be referencing two distinct persons on many occasions in the Bible. That's especially true in Isaiah. I have two people referenced at the same time who are separated by vast amounts of time. And this is not exactly what's occurring in Daniel, but it is part of it. For example, the people of the prince who is to come, come in most opinions 70 AD. That's Titus in the Roman army. And most assert that based on Luke 21, 22, 23. That is where Christ answers The first question of Matthew 24.3. Remember I told you there's three questions of Matthew 24.3. He answers the first question second. But it's not in Matthew. It's in Luke. So you go to Luke 21. And you find the answer to the first question of Matthew 24.3. Which he answers second. Everybody got that. Boy, I got two nods like this. Yes. And, and Huh? Yeah. yeah, that's exactly right. That is uh, in Fruchtenbaum's book, which you all should have. So, the second coming of the prince of those people does not come, is not revealed until the confirmation of the covenant, which comes after the five, or 489, but it happens to be this period of time is extraordinarily long. I'm going to tell you it's 2,000 years. So between these two periods, there's a 2,000 year uh, distance. It's called the great parentheses in theological schools. There's seven weeks, 49 years. Then there's 62 weeks, 434 years, for a total of 483 years. The Messiah is then cut off. And that has to be defined. Defined. Uh, there's no disagreement that cut-off is usually an execution, but not for himself. But there are others that say, wait a minute, cut-off is more than just one thing. might be two things. Cut-off from what? So we'll have to negotiate through that. But I have 483 years and Messiah is cut off. And then I have 2,000 years followed by 7 years. And that's the 70th week of the 70th week of Daniel. The 70th 7. And this is the basic formulation of Daniel 9:24, 25 through 27. The exact length of the great... Parentheses is roughly 2,000 years. How do I know that? Because I have, if you want to call it this, you can say it's two days. How do I know that it is called two days? How do I know that it is 2,000 years? Because I have Second Peter 3, 8 through 9. But beloved, do not forget. But beloved, do not forget. This one thing. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why is there two thousand years? Did Daniel think there was going to be 2,000 years between the 62 and the 7? No. What did he want? He wanted immediately at the end of the captivity of the Babylonians to have his country back. To go back to Jerusalem and have the theocracy. But that did not happen. Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord... Joel 1.15, Joel 2.1.2, Joel 2.31, Joel 3.15, all of that. The day of the Lord is the 70th week of Daniel. All of Joel describes the day of the Lord, the 70th week of Daniel. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief comes in the night in which the heavens... uh Uh-oh, what do we call that? That's right, the standard cosmological model. Well, pass away with a great noise. Oops. So the, the galaxies, the matter in the universe is going to be gone on in the day of the Lord. That is the 70th week, the final seven of the 497. That's the end of the beloved cosmological model. I can't wait. That's, again, where the sanitariums will be filled. Then they'll find out that dark matter and dark energy is a who and not an it. And being that there are seven millenniums, in other words, there are seven 1,000-year periods... Some would say there's an eighth, but the eighth is infinite. So I have seven of them, seven days. Obviously, that reflects backwards to the creation, right? There are seven 1,000-year partitions. Then it is assumed, therefore, that the two days are these two. Duh. And here is the crucifixion. Now, does the crucifixion end the fourth day, or does something else end the fourth day? There's a lot of debate, and we will have to debate that. That's the cutting off of the Messiah. Does that end the fourth day? Then these are the two days from that day. We are pretty good at figuring out what, within 30 years what day this is or what year this is. But Daniel tells us in 9 that we can figure out the exact year. Figuring out the exact year means that we can now figure out the two days of Peter and understand how close we are to the seventh day, which is the millennial rule of Christ, the seven millenniums, the 7,000, 1,000-year period. That's the plan. That's the process. Biblical chronology, counting, is a difficult endeavor. 360 days versus 365 days is just one hurdle. That's Hebrew versus Gentile. Calendars, how they calculate, how they reckon. And if we can, if we could, fix the exact day, I'm sorry, the exact date, the exact year of the end of the fourth day, either with the birth of Christ or the crucifixion of Christ, we'll have to decide which one we want, then we could accurately count two days to the Sabbath day and the millennium, the messianic kingdom. That's wisdom. That's also very comforting. I don't care how bad things may be going for uh, you, things are going to get bad. And he says, comfort yourselves with these things, with knowing these things. If I knew the exact day of the rapture, I would have a much better sense of humor about stuff. I know that I can't get to the day or the hour. So as my, as my goal to get to the week or the month. And if I was positive of it, like I said, men, many men, many women have been positive of it. And they all wrote books and they were all wrong, but they made a lot of money because there's no shortage of dumb people in the church. But if I could actually count the 2,000 years to the Sabbath day, because this is the Sabbath. The seventh is the Sabbath millennium. So I have six days, and then I go to the Sabbath millennium. If I could count there, the Messianic Kingdom, then I'm in really good condition. The Messianic Kingdom has two attributes that, in my most humble of humblest opinions, are foundational. They're fantastic pieces of information. One is that the Messiah, the King of the Jews, rules the entire world from his throne. There's a water. There's living water that comes out and restores everything to where it was at the time of the Garden of Eden. It's an incredible time. And he rules the entire world from his throne. And the throne is in the Holy of Holies, as it should be, because that's where he belongs. And it's in the temple of Jerusalem. Christ is the King of Israel and of the world. That's one thing that's going on. Why does he do this for 1,000 years? Why not just start the restoration of all things? He doesn't. He has this 1,000 year thing going on here. The second characteristic, in my opinion, attribute that is really important is the captivity of Satan during this time. Satan is put into a well that has no bottom. How much energy does it take to get out of that? Can he tunnel his way out? See, I made it fit didn't i i I am really amazing or desperate he <laughs> could be could be either one know yes, thank you for uh Validating my request for a compliment <laughs> private joke anyway the captivity of Satan in the bottomless abyss what does that make it it has no bottom it's in infinite so if I have a particle that has infinity and I'm, it's in an infinite condition what is resolved Think? isn't quantum physics so much fun but he's in the bottomless abyss, and an angel, or he's about to be thrown into the bottom of the, the bottomless abyss, and an angel comes down, having the keys to the abyss, and a chain, he's got a chain, a great chain. Great means it's uh, pretty long, and he lays hold of the dragon, and he binds him, and he casts him into that bottomless pit for one day, a thousand years. And it corresponds to the one thousand year messianic reign. So there are a whole bunch of questions. Who's the angel that has this chain and the key? Is that Christ himself? That's obviously got to be on the table. How about Michael, Jude 9, Revelation 12:7? Michael's been fighting Satan for a long, long time. Do you think he gets the joy of binding him up and throwing him in this pit? Who else does he put in with him? you let the other guys just run around or does he grab them all? I think it's obvious that he grabbed them all, and they're in the bottomless pit, waiting to be thrown into the lake of fire, which was created for them. Anyway, the point, yea, a point, is that there is a definitive statement being made here with these two conditions: Christ is King, the second Adam, I have God man ruling the earth. Who was the first ruler? So this is God man now ruling. The earth, finally. Satan, and not finally, but the second Adam again. We don't know the duration of the first Adam. And Satan and his angels cast into the bottomless pit, unable to affect mankind for a thousand years. No demonic presence on earth for one thousand years. And Christ physically on his throne. Those two things are happening. What is being taught with that? What is being said by those two in concert? Okay. Now, let's take on this list in Daniel 9 24 in the last five minutes of this. Seventy sevens are determined. That's what he says. Seventy sevens are determined for your people and your holy city. Again, to reset a bit, Gabriel has come to Daniel to give Daniel, who is beloved in heaven, an answer to the seventy years of captivity. That is spoken by Jeremiah in Jeremiah 25:11 through 12. So that's what's going on in Daniel. Praying and praying at the time of the evening offering. The evening oblation. Not oblation, oblation. What's the evening offering? What time do you suppose Gabriel came to Daniel? It's in the evening. What day do you think it is? What time? What day? Gabriel also comes at Luke one eleven through thirty eight, specifically one nineteen. He says, "I am Gabriel," and that links these two passages, one eleven through thirty eight, and Daniel nine twenty four through uh, twenty seven. It links them together because this is Gabriel in both places. They're inseparable. You, we're going to have to study them side by side. They are literally complements. Anyway, four ninety. I've got 490. Why do I have 490? Why not 500? What's the meaning of the 490? Where does the 490 come from? 490 is a 70 times 7. It's a heptad. And it has carrying with it, it has this meaning of a concealed definitiveness. So there's a concealment here, something defined, but it's a concealed definitiveness. And this heptad would come after the Babylonian 70 years of captivity. So I have 70 years, and then I have this 77s, this 490, right afterwards, immediately afterwards. So let's put it right here so you can see. Now it goes, 70, and now a 490. Again, what was Daniel expecting? Was he wanting a 490 after the captivity? No, he was not wanting a 490. Not only did he get a 490, but it's not really a 490, is it? It's a 483. It's a 483. And then it's a cutoff. And then it's another 7 after two days. And finally, I have the messianic kingdom. Right here. That is not what Daniel was after. So I have 70 years of captivity which ended. To turn, and by uh, the 70 years of captivity ended the theocracy terminated the theocracy of Israel. Israel never again, never recovered full freedom and does not have full freedom to be what they were prior to the captivity until the millennium, the last day, the seventh millennium. So from the captivity to today, we still haven't had Israel back in their theocratic structure. So full freedom doesn't happen until the final thousand years, the Sabbath one thousand, the seventh one thousand, that's Revelation 20. Daniel was told that the following captivity there would be this, I'm sorry, that following the captivity there would be this 490 year period that stops at 483 years. Then I have this tremendous interval and then a, then the 490 resumes with the final seven and then, then now I got all of that, the millennium. Messianic kingdom. He wanted the Messianic kingdom after the captivity. Didn't get it. Why not? Because God is long suffering and He wishes that none should perish. And He wanted you. So, yea, us, and too bad for Daniel. Repeating this. Three partitions, a 49, a 434, and a 7. The 49 contains, just so you know, inside this 49 is when Ezra, Nehemiah, is Zerubbabel, they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And that. What happens here in the 434? What happens in the 7? Well, we know that's the tribulational period. If something happened in the 49, which is the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the wall and the streets... Then we know something happened in this 434, and we know that something had to happen. We know that the, the seven is incredible. It's the 70th week. So to repeat that, the 434 follows immediately the 49, and after the 434 is this incredible interval, and then the seven is after the interval. Hopefully, you got all of that. The Essentially, the 490, the 490, this 490, can't say it enough, that 490 is some kind of message to Israel. And it reflects back to the 70 years of captivity as well. This is Leviticus 25 and Leviticus 26. That's the initial reason for the Babylonian captivity. What caused the Babylonian captivity is the failure to do Leviticus 25 and Leviticus 26. Say that really fast. I have to go really fast. 490 revolves around the year of the Jubilee, because a Jubilee is 7 times 7. That makes 49. Hopefully that makes sense. That brings a Sabbath year, and thus 490 years is 70 sabbatical years. And that comes from Leviticus 26, 34 through 35. I know, that's more math. We'll do it again. Just know today, there's a reason for that 490. And it goes back to Leviticus. God has a program for Israel. This is called the why of the 490 and the why of the 70 year captivity. That sets up the whole book or the whole chapter of nine. And Gabriel tells Daniel at the end of this 490, which has a 49 in it, and a 434 and a seven, three segments, that the transgression will be finished. The transgression will be finished. What's the obvious question? I know we're all asleep. What's the transgression? Because it's not Transgression, it's one transgression. And that's going to be finished. The sin, to make an end of sins, comes next. What's the difference between the transgression, which is one sin, and the end of sins? To what or to whom or to both is this one sin referring to? Obviously, there's great disagreement here. When does the ending of this sin happen? The word literally means to rebel. Transgression means to rebel. What's the rebellion? What specific act is one transgression, one specific act is this? And when did it happen? Next, again, is this ending of sins. To make it into sins. To seal up. To lock away. That's Israel's sins. Are you telling me, old, not-so-fat guy anymore? One-eyed... I only have half an eye now because both eyes have vitreous detachment in them and I just see little dots. It's really cool. You should have it. I hope for you to have it as fast as you can so we can be friends. That's what I want. Does does Israel's sin cease where they're not sinning? Is that possible? Is that what he does? This is Jeremiah 31 31 through 34. And third is to make reconciliation for iniquity, so I have finished the transgressions, to make an end of the sins, because this is the people of Israel he's talking to. Remember that? For your people in your most holy city. Does he end the sins of Israel? Does that happen in the millennium? Does anybody have that position? Yeah, they do. Is it right? The third thing is to make reconciliation for iniquity, to make atonement. Again, the first three are addressing the sins of Israel, the sin of Israel, the sins of Israel, and the atonement for the sins and the sin of Israel, the sin of the sins. Or maybe not Israel's sin. But it seems like it's Israel's sin because it says so. Anyway, next week. Daniel thought the messianic kingdom would come subsequent to the ending of the captivity of Babylon. No, didn't happen. It would come 490 years later, and in that 490 years is a 2,000-year interval. If that's all I get through to you today, I have succeeded greatly. And then he says, righteousness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. So what is the holy of hol- holies is anointed, and prophecy is is ceased, sealed up. All prophecy is ended. Why is there a cessation of prophecy? Duh. But ask why. Who built this Holy of Holies? Is this the the Solomonic temple? No. Is it the Herodian temple? No. Is it the Tribulational temple? No. Because this one has water, living water coming out of it. Who built that? Am I on the crew to pour the foundation for the living water thing? No, I'm not. As much as I can run a pump truck, not going to happen. One thing I don't want any of your children to ever be able to do is frame up concrete walls with rebar. Even though they have a really cool tool now for tying rebar. you just made me want to go back and do it. For just an instant. But the Holy of Holies is anointed. And the Holy of Holies to be anointed. There must be a Holy of Holies. Who builds it? Who's in it? Hopefully that's obvious. Next week it will be more so.